Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory to God the Father. Happy Easter, everybody. So the, at the beginning of 2022, or at the end of 2021, as we were praying as a community for a word, for a theme of 2022, the word that God gave us is the word all, or this call to restore or renew our awe of God, whether that's because of COVID, whether that's because of what you've gone through in your life. I don't think any of us had good two and a half years under COVID, many of us really struggled. Uh, We really felt like God was calling our community to really focus on this idea of restoring our awe, our awe of God, of who He is. And And so we spent two months talking about this topic of restoring our awe, our awe of God. And this tremendously, we said in the series, this tremendously impacts everything we think, say, and do. Where are our, our, our eye is set on, where our heart is engaged in, has tremendous impact in everything we say and do and think. It greatly determines how you and I view life and relationships, community, and even work. If our all is engaged the right way to the wonder and the beauty of God, the way we work will be different. The way we relate to our, our terrible boss, the way we relate to our coworkers that we do not want to hang out with will be different. In fact, it's not an overstatement to say all the challenges and temptations and chaos that are facing your life and my life and are facing our world are largely the result of misalignment in this area. What's happening in Ukraine and Russia, what's happening in Sri Lanka, what's happening in areas all over the world, brokenness, hardships, difficulties, I believe are all related to the result of humanity's misalignment in this particular area of all. So one of the most awe-striking attributes about God of the Scripture that the Scripture reveals to us I believe is in our text today as it was read, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Let me read that for us one more time. This is the passage we're going to land on. Don't worry, I know I only got like 15 minutes. I'm going to talk fast. Here we go. This is the passage, Philippians chapter 2. Paul is writing to Christians in Philippi, Christians who he wants to encourage, who are facing hard, difficult, painful things, yet they are pursuing. He says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him that the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Paul has much to say to this precious community in the city of Philippi, this young church, but none more important than these words that we find in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. You see, through this letter, we, we clearly see what Paul wants his, his audience to be able to see is the true, very nature, very essence of who God is. And none more clear than the words that we have on the screen. This is nature. This is the essence of who God. Last few weeks, as we're going through the book of Esther, we're in the middle of the series in the book of Esther, we have touched on this idea about identity and image. This idea of made an image of God. And that's really the question I want us to tackle. If we can truly see the nature, the essence of who God is, at the core of who He is, that should challenge the way we live. Last week, Pastor John led us wonderfully through uh, the Palm Sunday passage in, in, in Luke's gospel. And, and it was really a wonderful way to see that Jesus indeed is a different type of king. We are used to kings that are arrogant, kings that are self-serving, and we see a king that's completely different, right? As Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem for the final time in that passage, he enters Jerusalem not on a war horse, but on a donkey, on a coal. He doesn't demand extravagant ceremony or excessive celebration like average earthly kings. In fact, the gospel writers tell us his coronation, him being deemed as the king, couldn't be more different than typical coronation of all other earthly kings. There are, there are no fanfare in this king's coronation, there are, there are no, there's no music, there's no food, there is no, there's no speech or celebration. Instead, he is betrayed, betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's falsely tried, sentenced to death, beaten and mocked, and he is lifted up not, not onto a throne, but onto a tree. That's his coronation. That's what the scripture says. There is no kingly robe. He's not wearing a kingly robe. In fact, he's completely naked. There is no speech of some famous person coming and saying congratulations. Instead, only mockery and insults as he hung on that tree. Yet God the Father and yet God the Son always knew this was part of the plan as it was read in the scripture today. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. See, Jesus did not do this bitterly. Jesus did not do this begrudgingly. He did it willingly for the joy that was set before him. So it's there at the hill of Calvary, there as he is lifted, lifted up, hung there to die, the one who knew no sin became sin for you and I. And that's the picture of God that we are introduced to. In fact, John tells us that's the hour of his glorification. 
right? This phrase, the hour, is weaved throughout many Gospels, Mark and John, particularly in John's Gospel, throughout John's account of Jesus' life, this, this theme of the hour comes over and over again. As early as John 2, even before Jesus began his public ministry, Jesus is at a party and his mother Mary realizes they run out of wine. So Mary goes to Jesus knowing Jesus can do something, tells Jesus to help her out. And Jesus says, what? Why do you bother me? This is not, the hour has not come. A few chapters later, John 7, Jesus' brothers challenged Jesus. Hey, if you're that great, if your movement is that big, why don't you enter the city on this holiday and show yourself? Why don't you do it publicly? And Jesus denies their advice, denies what they say, and, and enters the city secretly because why? He says in John 7 and 8, my time has not come. The hour has not come. In fact, it's not until John, all the way in John 12, towards the end of John's gospel, John 12, 23 to 24, having entered Jerusalem for the last time, some of the men, some of the Greeks came to see Jesus, came to hear from Jesus, and Philip was there, and his disciples were there. It's only at that time in John 12, 23 to 24, Jesus finally says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears fruit. And then further down that passage in verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Friends, this is the nature of God that John is revealing to us. This is the nature of God that Apostle Paul is trying to teach us through his work, his letter to the church in Philippi. Yes, Jesus came to seek the lost. He came to welcome those who are not welcome in that culture. He came to show us a new way to view life. He did all of these things, but those were not his primary mission. His primary mission is very clear, he came for the hour. The hour was the most important assignment that he was given by the Father. And he knew how everything would come to an end. Jesus knew from the very beginning how everything would come to an end. Or to say it better way, how everything will actually begin, how life will begin. And again, this is precisely what Paul once to teach us through his work in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. I gotta breathe, okay. I was trying to go way too fast. I gotta breathe. You know, in, in Philippians chapter 2, there's so much, there's so much there. We can spend next six to eight hours unpacking just so much theological gold from this passage. But today, for today, I want to focus on one word. One word for the next five minutes. Give me one word. Right, it's the word hupaiko, hupaiko, right? It's, it, 
adverbial participle. I know what that is, but I just, I just Googled it. It's adverbial participle. Jeannie is a writer. She may know. Translated as though in verse 6. Though. Although he was in form of God. I'm going to focus on that. NASB says, although, NASB translates this word as although he existed in the form of God. And he, he did this, although. Opposite to who he was, he became this. But we have to really question, is that the best, word, best way to translate the word? I think it's pretty good. But if you actually look deeper into the grammar, grammatically, there are two possible translations. Not just although, but also it can be translated as because. Two possibility. D.A. Carson, a theological powerhouse, a well-respected scholar, he argues for because, not although. This is important. Follow me. I know I've lost half of you guys when I said adverbial participle, but keep with me. Listen to... Carson and Carson says both grammatically and both culturally, textually, he says it's not although because he was in form of God, it's because he is God. And this is dear Carson. The eternal son did not think of his status as God as something that gave him the opportunity to get and get and get. Instead, his very status as God-man, he had nothing to prove, nothing to achieve. And precisely because he is one with God, one with this kind of God, he made himself nothing and gave and gave and gave. If Carson is right, and I think he is, I mean, he's much smarter than many of us. The passage highlights even more brightly the profound love and profound celebration of Easter, friends. Because if he is God, because he is the perfect image of God, he emptied himself. Not although he was God, not although he was in form of God, he decided to lay down his godness and, and do this really, really challenging work. No. What Carson is arguing for is that it's because this is the very nature of who God is. God who is willing to die for sinners like you and I. Because he is the perfect image of God, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. You see how that's a little different? Friends, we, we know this. Only someone who has nothing to prove, nothing to achieve, nothing more to gain can truly give away his or her life. And this is not only the nature of God. What, what Paul is saying, this is not only the nature of God, but this is the nature of the gospel. Friends, here we see clearly the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice, the beauty of his resurrection. And this is not easy, right? Living your life not, not to prove your worth. Living your life not trying to achieve life. I mean, we're living in Seoul, Korea. This is a happening city. People are dressed so well. Every time I go, I look like a bum. I mean, this is my best Easter dress, guys. This is, this is, this is all I got. It's my best game. I go to Korea, I look like a bum. It's not easy. If I could be honest with you guys, I am often motivated by my desire to prove not only to others, to myself. Because I question, am I good enough to be a pastor of King's Cross? Am I holy enough? I told you my stories of driving. Am I, am I good enough to be able to preach? 
Am I worthy? Am I capable? Am I worthy to, to, to be this person? Can I be honest? I constantly battle this desire to achieve more, this desire to gain more from life, to, to win life. Life is like a game to me, and I want to win every time. To gain a greater sense of honor and admiration and success, even in pastoral ministry. I'm not a you know, investment banker. I'm not some CEO of a company. Even as a pastor, I have this desire and this desire, if I'm really honest, often drives me to, to say things I shouldn't, to do things I shouldn't, to touch things that I shouldn't. It's hard. And I somehow always fall into believing the lie of, well, Sammy, you got to prove yourself. But friends, this is why the economy of God, what Paul is saying in our passage, is so earth-shattering. It's so different from the economy of the world that we live in. right? In Christ, what Paul is saying is we have nothing to prove. We have nothing to achieve. We have nothing to gain more. In fact, in kingdom economy, in this upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to teach us about, you actually gain life not by crawling or clawing or, or, or fighting, but you gain life by giving it away. You gain honor by your willingness to go lower. You truly learn to live you, you truly learn to truly live by learning to die to yourself. Friends, there is nothing else that can give us more rest, more peace, more sense of fulfillment than what Christ has already given us. Not your career, not your relationships, not your, definitely not your children. I've tried that, tried to gain fulfillment from my children. Not your stuff. You fill in the blank. Whatever has captivated your all, whatever has captivated your heart. If you continue to pursue those things, as our brother Arnold shared in his testimony, you continue to pursue those things, you will always be driven to desire more. That's why when you go to buffet, you never win. When I go to buffet, I'm never feeling great. I walk out of buffet feeling terrible. Because you know what? I eat all this. Even, say, Lotte Buffet. It's like it's a 120,001 buffet. I go there, I walk out there ter feeling terrible. Why? I eat and eat and eat thinking this is going to fulfill me. But no, it, it doesn't. And I look like this, right? Because I don't work out. Um, but that's true. Buffet is a great example of just great teacher of life. Pursue whatever you're pursuing to the nth degree, you will always desire more. But pursue Christ and everything else in life becomes not something to be achieved, but a gift. That's Ecclesiastes, right? Like, I read Ecclesiastes, and I'm like, what the heck is this guy talking about? It's so depressing. But really, one of the main lessons of the book of Ecclesiastes is saying, Enjoy the gift that God has given you. Do not try to win life. Do not try to gain life. Do not try to use life 
as means to your greater end. No, enjoy life because life is a gift. It's a gift to work, gift to rest, gift to play, gift to enjoy. Life is a gift, but only when we realize life is not about trying to win or gain or achieve or any of those things. So friends, let us learn on this Easter Sunday, let us learn from Jesus what it means to truly live. You know where I'm going. We do this every week. This is the gospel. And, and, and I don't know how you've come to this space today. Some of you guys probably came with excitement to worship like our worship band. Some of you guys are probably sitting there like, man, these guys are crazy. I'm not feeling this. I'm not about this. I'm just, I'm just, I'm in a church first time in like five years. Doesn't matter. Because friends, this is the gospel. Because Jesus lived a life that we could not live and died the death you and I deserved. So it doesn't matter what you have done, what you have not done. doesn't matter how you have lived, how you have not lived. doesn't even matter how you feel right now as you're sitting here listening to me preach. You're just like, let this be done. doesn't matter because Jesus lived a life and died the death that you and I deserved. And he did that not only out of joy, but also he knew he was in a safe place with the Father, in the, sa- in the Father's love. The perfect love of the Father gave him power to endure the most painful moment of his life on that tree. But that perfect love also defeated all of man's sins, all of shame that you and I feel, all of guilt, even death itself. Death is defeated. He is risen. All right, Jeannie, you don't do it. Everyone else, let's do it again. Jeannie's the only one doing it. He is risen. Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. Just want to remind you, this is the nature of God. God did it because this is who he is at the core. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for grammar lesson through the book of Philippians. We thank you, Lord, that you use someone like D.A. Carson to open up scripture to us. We thank you, Lord, that you know us. You know everyone in this space. You know all of our joys. You know all of our fears. You know all of our disappointments. You know all of our worries. You know things that nobody else knows. You know things that only we know, Lord, about ourselves. Yet it is amazing to hear these words that you lived a life that we could not live. You died the death we deserve and we have been set free. So I pray, I silence the voice of the evil one in this place that lied to us, that tell us, hey, Sangmin, you got to do better. Simon, you gotta prove yourself more. Simon, you gotta work harder. Simon, I don't think God loves you. I don't think God cares. I don't think you can be forgiven. All these lies, Lord, we silence these lies. And we pray if anyone 
whether they're watching online or in this space, doubting your love, doubting your forgiveness, doubting your mercy, doubting the very nature of who you are. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts so that we can truly see the essence of who you are, Jesus. We thank you. We love you. Just send me a prayer. Amen.